Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury, go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, motorcycle, boat. I think the suit has yacht insurance and doesn't have a yacht. It kind of scares me a little bit. Purdy Insurance, whether it's bundles, they'll do everything they can to save you money. And they are just great people to be around and work with. All of them. Adam, Bill, Craig, Summer, Steve Engel. I mean, you can go through the whole long list. And they want to wish all of you happy holidays. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Roots, 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. As usual, a Penn State guy has to bail out the Eagles. It is second down and goal from the two. Hurts in the gun. Sanders to his left. Hurts has the ball. Hertz gives it off to Sanders, pushes, he's in, touchdown, Miles Sanders. Touchdown number eight on the season, second of the game. The great legend himself, Merrill Reese, with the call on the Eagles radio network. And also heard last night here on Eagle 107. With that, we turn to SI.com's Mark Wogenrich. My friend, welcome Great to see you on Saturday. Great to talk with you today. As always, Steve, my pleasure, too. It's really good to see you on Saturday. What a day that was, too. My gosh. 50 in November. <laughs> uh, yeah, 50 in November, which was phenomenal. Uh, I don't know how Sean was with all of you after the game on Saturday, because I, I, you know, we, we were doing the post-game show. You guys were downstairs in the interview room. But when Jack and I had him on, and I asked him about his support system through all the ups and downs of being a starting quarterback in the college level. He really choked up when talking about it. How was he down there with you guys? I thought he was going to choke up too, which he's done, I think, a couple of times this year. He used the term self-aware, and I've written that about him over the course of this season, and that he's a very self-aware quarterback. He knows his place in Penn State history. He knows his place on the field, too, at Beaver Stadium. In those times when he's struggling and there are boos and he understands all of that, yet he has never let that outwardly become an issue. And I don't, you know, I'm going to sense that if it is an inwardly an issue, he suppresses it enough, or at least he moves past it enough. At this point, he's figured out a way to deal with it. So finishing that game, to me, it was funny. I was actually kind of hoping he wouldn't throw another pass after. I didn't think he would. But after the touchdown, I thought, what an amazing thing to be able to say. You bookended your career 
with your first pass to Beaver Stadium being a touchdown and your last pass to Beaver Stadium being a touchdown. That's a remarkable, I, I you know, that's going to be a remarkable thing to be able to look back on at some point and then have your parents there. The support system was in the tunnel with him all the way up uh, into the locker room and the media room and his lap. Uh, the, the, the reaction, I think, that he got in the post game, you know, taking that lap around Beaver Stadium to seemed to me it meant a lot to him and he was he was a much more of a big picture kind of quarterback after that game in trying to put into words what the last six years have been him because they've not been easy can't possibly be easy what he's uh had to go through with the hills and valleys but i think overall having you know the parents there being able to play with his brother for two years the teammates that he's had and looking all over the, you know, the course of that career, I think you should be able to look back on that career with pride and the fact that uh, everybody was able to see it and see the finish the way it did uh, in that game at home has got to mean something. Yeah, no, no question about it. And Mark, when you look at a team that was unranked in the preseason – and you see them now with 10 wins with one to play and finish the way they did now in the top 10. What have we watched over the last three and a half, four months? Watch a team that was much better than I initially gave it credit for. I mean, I was in a nine and three camp. Uh, you know, I, I just thought they didn't probably didn't have the horsepower to beat Michigan and Ohio State this year. And then I thought there was going to be another game. There was just going to be that game that maybe they don't play well. And and it happens. You know, everybody has that game. Michigan, Michigan and Ohio State had that game last week. You know, they, they are nearly did anyway with Illinois and Maryland, respectively. But what impressed me the most is that after they lost to Michigan, they came back and pounded Minnesota. After they lose Ohio State, they came back and pounded for a Big Ten opponent. You can argue competition, sure, that they, you know, that their schedule might have been front-loaded. The Big Ten, the Big Ten teams they played at the end were not the best teams in the conference, obviously, and so on and so on. But winning out of the gate at Purdue that Thursday night, Purdue is in the Big Ten title game. Michigan, the two teams they lost to, Michigan and Ohio State, are now top five. So. I, over the course of this weekend, I'm seeing, you know, the, the what-if scenarios of a playoff. You know, what happens if, 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 and somehow Alabama, you know, uh, sneaking its way or maybe, like, rising its way back into contention. I would argue if you're going to make the argument for Alabama, you have to almost make it then for Penn State as well. I don't think either one obviously has an argument. But if you want to, if you want to compare resumes for this season, I don't like about programs historically, but for this season, they would have similar resumes, and that is a that's a number one overall ranked team to start the season, you know, mostly, and an unranked team to start the season. So your paths, and that really to me just goes to show your paths can really, really uh, go in a variety of ways that you do you ultimately may or may not expect. 
That would be number one, maybe being five or six, and unranked being probably eight. So they'd be within two or yeah. three of each other. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Con- conventional wisdom, as we all know, and we have got to make sure that we make sure everybody understands what the conventional wisdom is, says that these, this hour before the games are played this weekend, it would be the Cotton Bowl with Tulane. But the Rose Bowl is possibly in play, and you and I both know Pat Kraft would be working hard to convince people of that. What is the scenario that does allow that to happen? I've already talked myself into that, and I wrote about that over the weekend, that the Rose Bowl, if you read their their uh, selection procedures, they leave the door open for situations just like this. They use the word traditionally will invite the next highest-ranked team from the conference if the conference loses the team to the playoff. They also, well, use, that, the word, they also yep. use the word caveat. Which I thought exactly. was interesting. That's exactly right. So the next highest ranked team, obviously, is Ohio State. Ohio State is essentially the next highest ranked team for two bowls. You know, the uh, the, the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl being that, uh, that Big Ten, SEC, Notre Dame contract kind of team. So to me, it's a, it's a, it's a natural almost swap or fit, however you want to describe it, to send Ohio State to the Orange Bowl. It is not in any way a diminished capacity bowl. They are the qualifier. If they finish number five, they are the de facto qualifier for the Orange Bowl in that, you know, in their, their Rose or in the Orange Bowl scenario, which makes a great fit for Penn State to the Rose with Ohio State having been there last year and two of the last four. I think it's, I mean, to me, I don't think it's an outlier possibility in, in any way. I think that's something that really could be uh, neither bowl is, an, is, is a bad choice, Rose or Cotton, but I, you know, I think the way that would work, uh, the Rose, it, it wouldn't, it, not to say that it wouldn't surprise me, I don't think it would be, I think it's a, it's a viable choice. It's a viable alternative for the Rose Bowl in this year. And okay, and this goes with Michigan winning, because obviously yeah, well, if, Pur- yeah. if Purdue wins, Purdue, they go right, to the Rose right. Bowl, right? Right. And conversely, the opponent would be either Washington, highest ranked team, or Utah. If they were to beat USC, they would be the Pac-12 champion, and they would get the bid. So, I mean, and, it's yeah, it's and a, even more it's so, a, right? Like ahead, even Mark. more so, if Utah does win. Goes to the Rose Bowl. You're good. That's a, that's a rematch of last year. Ohio State, right. Utah. Tech. I mean, it could be if if Ohio State's not in the playoff. Right. Uh, yeah. And that again, conventional wisdom says mm-hmm. Cotton. The yeah. Rose is not though out of the realm of possibility. In fact, it may be a greater possibility maybe than some people are thinking, especially if C.J. Stroud decides not to play. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a very big possibility in in my view. I at at some point I might even be I, I might even turn toward the idea that it would be more possible because if you think of the matchup possible, Ohio, you know Penn State Washington, Ohio State Clemson. I know they played, but still a fascinatingly uh, an interesting matchup. And then uh, Tennessee and the Group of Five team in in the uh, in Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. I think a lot of that is pretty sensible. Yeah, it is. It is. It is sensible. Uh, and Alabama going to the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, obviously. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. When it's all said and done. 
when you look at the kids, because this is an interesting team. We've, we've talked about the Singers, the Mustafers, the Cliffords, the Browns. You know, Joey Porter played on Saturday, for example. But a lot of people are, are justify, justifiably enamored with Abdul Carter, Nicholas Singleton, and Katron Allen. What have you seen in their impact com- compared to what you thought their impact might be in August? I was there, actually, I remember going back to June when there was a media availability in June with the last year's freshman class that James Franklin was available, and we were talking to him out on the practice field, and that was Abdul Carter's first day on campus. And uh, I got to, you know, it was kind of, so he's walking across the practice field and kind of caught a glimpse, and that was the first time I'd seen him in person. And I remember thinking, yeah, he's <laughs> physically he's everything that James Franklin uh Said he was, you know, back on signing day last year. I mean, he, you know, he was, uh, he looked the part. I don't know. You might know this. I don't know. I didn't have a chance to look it up. I don't know that a true freshman has ever left led the defense or led Penn State's defense in tackles for losses and sacks. And that's what he's done this year with a runway to the season. I mean, you know, he didn't start leading them in defensive stats. It probably took six, seven, eight games. I mean, he started the last two. But it was this gradual kind of play, you know, uh, playing time rise. It was very similar. I thought I'm really smart in a way that, you know, what they did with Micah Parsons and kind of in kind of introducing him and introducing him behind a senior as Penn State did with Abdul Carter and Jonathan Sutherland to the point that he just, you could not bring him uh, off the field. And his pursuit to the ball, his the speed he showed. I thought that coverage play he made with the Michigan State with the touchdown to the Malik Carr, their 6'5", 260-pound tight end. I thought he actually had not bad coverage there. It's hard to cover a tight, a 6'5", tight end and make the one-handed catch in the end zone. So that, even to me, that play was, uh, that was a bit of a look. I thought that showed what you could expect from him in the future. He was he was the surprise to me. Like I know he had number eleven and a lot of uh, you know a lot of conversation coming in, but I, the running backs. I think there was I, I expected not them for them to be just the the entirety of the running game, but to be a focal point. Carter, I don't know that I expected him to make that kind of impact this year. You know what's interesting about Singleton and Allen? The fact that it happened organically, Mark, as you and I yeah. watched it play out, they're only separated by seven carries on the season. And that's the beautiful thing about that is that their legs should be, you know, they're not going to be like Chase Browned up and 200 carries kind of thing this year. They're that was beautiful and that's the kind of thing that maybe you could see that continuing that if you're able to have those two kind of backs who are willing uh, to shape that kind of workload and maybe even think about it as as an asset to their future development and and the future of their football career that they are not going to come out of come out of college broken down as running backs and go to the NFL without a lot of wear and tear and without a lot of mileage and the, just the way they were able to I, I think maybe there was this impression that they were going to be a thunder and lightning combination 
But I think you saw elements of both uh, as the season went on, too. You saw Catron Allen become the kind of guy who could break a run, and you saw Nicholas Singleton become the kind of back who can run over people. They really just seemed to share that position in not a way that they were playing off each other in different kind of talents, but they were a blend. And I don't remember seeing anything uh, anything like that. I know Penn State was trying to come up with some numbers about you know, the you know, running back tandem totals, and they're up there um, with some of the, you know, the great tandem totals or great running back tandems that Penn State's had in history. Yeah, I asked uh, Nick about, you know, over the season, what have you learned from Catron? Because the two of them are together all the time in practice. And he says, Steve, he's taught me patience. All right? It's like, it's interesting. They're picking up from each other as to, as to how they're playing. Uh, Mark, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much for the perspective. Look forward to talking again soon. Absolutely. Well, do enjoy your trip to South Carolina. All right, thanks. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I've been down there like this will be like five or six days, Mark, in the month of November down there. I think somebody's going to give me a voter registration card here shortly. <laughs> That's true. I remember. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that, but yeah, you will. Yeah. So. Great. Oh thanks. man. Thanks. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. All right. Uh, looks like Hugh Freeze is going to leave Liberty and he's going to become the head coach at Auburn. And. Now we're going to give you this news. The Big Ten has released a statement outlining disciplinary measures for Michigan and Michigan State for the tunnel incident on October 29th. So, the conference has fined Michigan State $100,000. Kari Crump was suspended for the final four games of this past season, and he'll be suspended for the first eight games of next season. The other six players... Batavian Brown, Angelo Gross, Justin White, Brandon Wright, Zion Young, Jacoby Windham, and Malcolm Jones all had served four-game suspensions. The conference has accepted that as sufficient and completed. They have been immediately reinstated to the team. So say out of nowhere, Michigan State, at a, as 5-7, and seven, is allowed to fill a bowl spot because right now they're only 79 out of 82 qualified. Say they were allowed to fill a bowl spot, they could play in the game. Here's the part you're going to love, and you know how I feel about this. The University of Michigan was also found by the conference to be at fault for not meeting the standards of the Big Ten policies to provide adequate protection for personnel for both home and visiting teams. Michigan was given a public reprimand for policy failure. Oh, my goodness. How are they ever going to survive that? Oh, oh. my God. Oh, my God. It's like being censured. Who cares? I mean, come on. Golly. <laughs> My kids wish I'd given them public reprimands over the years. All right. <laughs> we'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WK. Clemson's line shifts, snap it back. Rattler looking right side, now rolling right side. Wants to go on a corner route. He's got a man there. Juju Wales going at the 30, 20, trying to run away at the 10. He does so. Five. Touchdown, Carolina. Touchdown, Juice Wells. <laughs> 72 daggum yards at Memorial Stadium. Are you kidding me? Boom, right back in it. South Carolina. Um, 
That's the first time in 40 games Clemson's lost at home. Yep, I'll be uh, doing the show about maybe a half mile from that stadium tomorrow. You can give us a uh, full uh, moratorium on how everybody's doing down there. Oh, I can already tell you from here, not well. <laughs> I mean, Maybe I go bring some peanuts a... down to Dabo from Brewers Outlet to make him feel better. Ay, ay, ay. Public reprimand. I always love when oh, that... I know. It's a strongly worded public recommend. I don't care what words you put in there. It costs me no money, no players. We're good. And the same <laughs> stupid tunnel's going to be there next year where this could happen again and again and again. Right. Take your college football playoff money and build a new one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you the first time I walked down that tunnel, I looked around and said, oh, yeah. what idiot came up with this concept? <laughs> Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street and Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors Studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Key Routes 11 and 15, Ummel's Wharf. Online, SunburyMotors.com. Lucas Oil tonight, Colts and Steelers. And joined now by the great Bob Pompiani. Bob, thanks a lot for your time today. It's great to have you back. Steve, it's always my pleasure. Thank you. All right. So so I want to start with Kenny Pickett. We'll start with, with the with the easy question. As you watched him, is he playing better or is he tre- treading water? I think he's being a rookie in the NFL, which is never an easy assignment, especially for someone in their first year, you know, to come in against these defenses, against these athletes. I think you saw kind of a, a mixed bag last week against Cincinnati. He was on fire, you know, the 141 passer rating. Uh, he had the most output of points they've had in any one game this year in the first half when they led Cincinnati 20-17. to At halftime, everything switched. First four possessions, second half, three and outs. That even included after um, T.J. Watt crazy interception. They just couldn't move the ball at all. I, I think what's happening, just in my opinion, is that because he is a rookie, I don't think that offensive coordinator Matt Canada is giving him enough leeway to do more. That is audible when he sees fit. I know he's a young guy, and some of these guys don't want to entrust that to a young person, but if you're really going to evaluate what a quarterback can do, You've got to give him some latitude there. Um, you know, he's been down the field a little erratic, and I don't know if he has the arm strength to, to, to do what, like we saw yesterday from whether it was Lamar Jackson with his throw to Deshaun Jackson in that Jacksonville game or, you know, some of these other throws that you see guys make. Trevor Lawrence was on par, and I mean, zipping that ball around. I don't know if he has that kind of arm strength, which means he's got to be very accurate. And they've got to get more guys involved. So it's kind of a work in progress. The numbers tell the story. He's been very much average or a little below statistically. But again, it's his rookie year, and I think the, the Steve, like any quarterback, man, you got to you got to evaluate. The rest of the year should be an evaluation process of where he is, so they can you know de- de- determine and springboard that into next year and surround him with people who can help him. And that's exactly if you and I were talking about a college player as a freshman quarterback, that's exactly what you and I'd be saying about him. Uh, right. And that's that's the way it is. I mean, the, you know, the the game is so much faster at this level. But you know, the disappointment to me about watching the game last week 
was when the offense was doing some good things, the defense gave up points. And it seems like when the defense isn't giving up points, the offense isn't scoring points. How tough has that scenario been where they can't put it together on one day? Yeah, you know, that's the frustrating thing about Washington this year. Their defense was built for success. In fact, you know, the blueprint coming into the season, and I've discussed with a lot of people in the Steelers front office and players, was, you know, they had a young offense. You know, you know, Fryermuth, you know him, second year. You got Harris, second year. You got George Pickens, rookie. You got Kenny Pickens, rookie. Uh, Kenny Pickett, rookie. If he was going to play, and originally he didn't, but it was going to be just let the offense don't turn the ball over, keep things on schedule, and let the defense do what their $108 million price tag says they should do, which is to win games more defensively, sort of like what Denver's doing, even though <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. They've had their best defensive points uh, allowed in, in their history, and yet here they are struggling at 3-8 and eight because their offense stinks. So, I mean, that was the whole blueprint. Let the defense win games, don't mess up on offense, and I think, though, because it's kind of a, you know, a restrictive offense, it's really hurt. Defensively, they just, aside from their big-name players, nobody else is really doing much. Their inside linebacking play is still a mess. Devin Bush hasn't done anything that, you know, maybe he's better than last year, but that's not saying much, and most likely he won't be back, which means you've got to redraft that position. Their corners are not good enough to be shut down corners. And so you're going to have big names up front and in the back end, but in between you better have people who can cover and do some things, and so far that hasn't happened. Glad you brought up Denver. I have to ask you, for Seattle, is the Russell Wilson trade the greatest heist since the Dallas Cowboys traded Herschel Walker to the Vikings? <laughs> well, you know, they got an awful big return. And I, first of all, I didn't think, I don't know about you, but I didn't expect Geno Smith to be this good. They lost no, yesterday, I know, but, yeah. um, you know, they, they've, they've coached him up. Certainly he's been much better than ever, but Russell Wilson's really an enigma to me. And then Denver gave him a whole new contract of 200 some million dollars, which means they're going to be strapped with him for a while. Now, if you look at his last five years, Steve, each of those has had um, passer ratings of over 100 for the season. So it's not like he's right. totally dropped off. But for whatever reason, they just wanted to move on from him. Boy, they did get a heist, and Denver should be better in time because of it. But, man, I'm just scratching my head about Russell Wilson. I did not think that the fall-off like this would even be close to being what it was. I never expected to see what I'm seeing from him this season. I mean, I didn't think yeah, like, What did be... you expect from the AFC West? I thought it was going to be the most competitive division yep. in football, and here it is one of, maybe one of the worst. Right. You've got Mahomes, Herbert, Carr, and Russell Wilson. I thought, well, this is going to be some wild shootout every single week. And it's not that. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, All right, so they got Indianapolis tonight. You know, just Saturday, and I've asked a couple of other people this, what did you think about that interim hire of just Saturday, considering his experience or the lack thereof? Well, and just from my point of view, I guess I'd look at it and say that I think Frank Reich was hung out to dry there for whatever reason. It yep. seemed like the ownership did whatever they could to kind of make him look worse than what the team really is. And quite frankly, he's had a multitude of different quarterbacks over the last several years there, and yet they put up pretty competitive offensive numbers, top ten numbers. This year, you know, uh, so they bring in Matt Ryan, another you know journeyman guy, and still very effective when he gets protection. Uh, and for whatever reason, Sam Ellinger's thrown in the mix. They fire their offensive coordinator, and he's next to go. Surprisingly, Jeff Saturday immediately is the call, which – which makes me think that this was all done with that in mind anyway. 
I, I'm just surprised just because, and you can tell me all about motivational parts of being a head coach. I get that. He, he understands football. He's played with all the famers. He's been in that system as a player for 14 years. I get all of that. But at some point, I got to wonder if Jeff Satter is really going to be want, wanting the minutia of this job. Does he really want to spend as many hours as sometimes as were acquired by these head coaches in the off season, talking about what they're going to do with their players, setting up schedules for OTAs, for minicats, for you know all of this stuff that goes beyond the game itself. He may be fine in game, I guess, as you know, if he defers to his coordinators, but. I have a feeling some of those guys are going to leave now, not knowing what, what lies ahead. So this could be a real mess in Indianapolis before it ever turns into something good. What are some of the key points do you think about tonight's game? What are some of the factors that you look at that can swing it one way or the other for the Steelers? Well, first off, this is going to be a really good test for a picket, I think, Steve, because this this defense they have is one of the better ones. I mean, if you look at what they've been able to do last week, they, they limited – Philadelphia to 17 points, and you saw what the Eagles did last night when they set a record for how many yards rushing plus points they got in that game. And then they've held Kansas City to 17. That was, I think, their lowest output of the season. So they're going to they're gonna be a major test for Pickett. So I think the run game's important. The last two weeks, they've committed more to it. As a result, Najee Harris has averaged five yards a carry. they got to do that. They've got to possess it more. Uh, and on the other side of it, they got to stop Jonathan Taylor. Their run game defense has been better. Um, but is it good enough to stop him? And if not, that play action becomes a real problem because, like I said, their corners are not, you know, shut down corners. They can be had. And the middle of the field is always open to running backs on linebackers or even tight ends on linebackers. So these are constant problems that have been there for the Steelers, and this could be a good test in that direction. Uh, how's the fan base been with this? Because for 20 years, no matter what, they've at least been in the mix, whether it's in the mix for the playoffs or to make a deep run. This is not that. So how have the fans been about this? Well, uh, I'm, honestly, i got to tell you, everyone's looking ahead to the draft already. Never have I seen that before around here, you know, 10 weeks into the season. Um, and normally the Steelers will draft, you know, 20 and beyond. Never in the, you know, they traded up to do Devin Bush at 10, and that turned out to be a mistake. But, you know, now they're looking, they're sitting here right now, I think, at um, what, top five pick, and they have Chicago second. And they're going to have, like, the fifth, the 34th, and the 37th pick so far. That's essentially three first-round picks. So most of the attention is on how do you root for this team right now? You know, fantasy has changed a lot of what we do because a lot of people are in it. They don't care how the team's result. As long as your player gives you points for your fantasy league. <laughs> so they're, good, they're rooting that point. way maybe. But they're also, yeah. I'm sure, rooting for them to lose. Uh, and that would make sense because the more you lose, the better your pick. And if you believe there's somebody out there who could really help you as a generational talent in this draft, you know, the, the, that's a logical way of thinking, but it puts fans, I think, in a very difficult situation. You want to root for them, but do you want them to keep winning so that they move into the 15th to 19th spot in the draft? Yeah, that was always the issue with the Jets. All of a sudden, I don't know, they'd be in the position at the first overall pick, and then they'd mess the whole thing up, and they'd win a game. <laughs> I can't yeah, you exactly. But they still would mess up the me. draft pick. They've had how many top tens like the Giants, oh. and they still haven't hit on too many of them. Oh, for goodness sakes, how many how many first overall picks did the Clippers have? <laughs> yep. Just come on. That's right. I mean, the NBA, really? There's littered with all sorts of failures. At the oh, absolutely. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you. Hey, thanks very much for having me, Steve. It's always a pleasure to come on your program. It's legendary up there, and I wish you a happy holiday season. I'll to talk to you again soon. Hey, happy holiday season to you too, my friend. Thank you, Bob. All right, Steve. Bob Pompiani.
He is one of the best ever, without question. Good to have some good, solid Steeler talk to interrupt all that eagle rah-rah pom-pom talk. <laughs> well, the game is tonight, so I wanted a nice little segment in, and who better than than uh, the pomp himself? Let's see. So 49ers-Eagles. Let's see. Running game. Niners. Quarterback. Garoppolo. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, though. Uh, as well as the Eagles' defense has played, and the, the Eagles' defense, you know, that last night aside, I mean, you know, because you look at Indianapolis, they won, the Eagles' defense won that game. I, but, geez, they are not in the same realm as San Francisco's defense. San Francisco's defense is really terrific. I mean, have you noticed how well they played lately? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there are some odds that have put San Francisco ahead as the top NFC favorite now, which I think is a little early to call. I still think the Eagles are a better team, I'd, I'd but like to see, I get it I'd on like, the defensive side. I'd, say, I'd like to see a couple more weeks of sample size because the Niners have started to get into gear. All right? But they're still, what are they now, 8-4? and four? They're 7-4, and four, but they're seven the number two seed right now. Right. They're or number three, I'm sorry. Number three. Seven and four right now. Uh, give me a couple more weeks, and then you're like, okay, because the Eagles' schedule has just for whatever. And Matt, yeah, you know, they can't help. You got to play who you play. But even you got to admit it, it really hasn't been that great. Uh, hey, overall, no. But I mean, the division has been better. They, so they they have that. They have the yeah, Vikings. but they haven't played. But they they play Washington in the division, right? Okay, so they won that, and they played Dallas without Prescott. They haven't played the Giants yet at all. No, they, 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 that's they the last still couple have to, games. They still there. have to play at Dallas. Right? I think they're done with Washington, right? Yeah, they're they done with Washington. Away, right? they, they still have two with the Giants, and they have yeah Tennessee it, next it, week and the Giants twice in the last it, four weeks. And yeah, Tennessee Dallas. will be a good, Tennessee will be a good test. Yeah, this game worries me next week after the especially Tennessee after last good, night. Tennessee will be a good test. Yep. Um, I did talk to Brian Dable on Saturday for a little bit. Um, yeah, first, God, first thing he asked me was, well, he said, that suit guy isn't around, is he? I'm like, I think... F-O-U-L-E-D, that spells foul And, you know, his son Christian is um, with Penn State. Um, you know, part of the signal calling group and so forth. Uh, so he said, he said it worked out perfectly that he could be at the game because they played Thanksgiving. So he and his wife, and, you know, the Dables have six children, and so the two youngest daughters were with him on the sideline uh, as part of the senior day thing, which was cool. But yeah, they—I mean, they've got the—they still have to play at the Giants, and then the day I'm doing the game at the Palestra is the day the Eagles are hosting the uh, Giants. Correct on January eighth. Yep. So, hey, maybe I'll pop over. You should. Hey, how's it going? I've got to go game. Get a run. I wouldn't recommend wearing Giants gear, though, which I know you wouldn't anyway, but. I got a game that day. I'll be yeah. wearing a golf shirt. That's true. <laughs> like I always do. All right. Um, Santa is tonight. Six oh, is it 6.05 or is it right at 6? Uh, 6 o'clock, right on the dot, yeah. Right, 6 to 7, okay? Santa there tonight. Magic Radio. All five nights this week. So it really gets going. 
in earnest. And Santa believes in direct communication and in local businesses. And Cyber Monday, eh, whatever. Yeah. But Santa believes in local business. Last I checked. That's right. I got I received a text from Doug Birdsong. My kids wished I would have just given them a public reprimand. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. I know. <laughs> oh, my almighty! I always love that. A strongly worded public reprimand. Oh! <laughs> you know how many people on strongly worded public reprimands have gone into the fetal position? None. Exactly. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. <laughs> mm-hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 6.30 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 6.30 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury. And Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the... Mm. Out of auto repair. Fate to Gainwell. Hurts is a lot of space over here. Take it off. Anybody going to catch him? You, sir, are my hero. Did they score in that play? No, but then our boy Miles Sanders ran it in after that. A couple plays after that. Like, when you watch the game, do you have green and silver pom-poms? No. Right. Game jersey always on, but no pom-poms. And who's your game jersey now? Well, I have a couple different ones. I I basically have former Eagle greats because I haven't been trustworthy of the team lately of who to get, but I'm definitely – I have asked for a Jalen Hurts jersey for Christmas. But right now I have Nick Foles, a Super Bowl 52 edition, I have Donovan McNabb black, which I wore last night for the black uniforms. And I have uh, Brian Westbrook. Villanova's own. That's right. But I was in the black last night for the uh, for the black gown and the black helmets. And what were Luke and Mark wearing last night? They were in their usual it's all about Eagles football uh, long sleeve t-shirts. Did Junior sing the song? No, Junior was fast asleep. Oh, good. Oh. Which I was okay with, so, so Daddy can oh. watch the game in peace. Oh, is it? Is it? I always love watching games with my sons. When they're they're still at that where you gotta like still. Well, it's more it's more with Mark because he's still a year and a half. I I gotta do some chasing. Luke's getting better, so Luke, we're getting there. 
You say so. All right. Um, okay. All right. I'm just I'm trying to see that, you know, as you go through with what the situation's like. That's good. All right. And I think it's, what, Tennessee this week? Yeah. What time's that game? Right now it's 1 o'clock on Sunday. I thought okay. this had a chance to be flexed, but obviously they're keeping it that way. There's probably only so many options that they have. I mean, I know they yeah. have the Sunday night, the Sunday night game is set, so is Monday. And so really the only time they could have flexed it would have been the 425. Right. And so this Sunday night game stinks. It's Colts-Cowboys. Excuse me, America's team in the game. I know. I mean, I mean, I, I, that, I get the Dallas part. It's just they, not they, a great they, opponent they, with the Colts, is what America's I'm saying. America's team. I know. Well, whatever. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I, know I, I go hate, vomit when, when I hear I say that. that. Yeah. You hate when I say that. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of interesting information about the show today. Mark Wogenrich. You can tell Mark is bullish on the idea that Penn State's going to the Rose. Oh yeah, I am too. Now, now remember. There are elements that have to play out. It could end up being conventional, okay? So remember, we know what the conventional wisdom says. Cotton Bowl. Got it. But you do need to have certain elements fall into place. You do need to have one Michigan beat Purdue. Then after that, it's catch as catch can. And, for example, if TCU loses, I think, which is not out of the realm of possibility, Kansas State's actually very good. (laughs) That's why Fowler and Herb Street are doing the game. Ohio State can move back up. So there's a lot of scenarios here. A lot of scenarios. But it's fun. To, but it's the first time, obviously, I've really talked about this all season because I always feel like it's worthless. What did I say to you in the preseason about not being ranked? Oh yeah, don't they'll climb back up? I said, I said, who cares? Yeah, I said it matters where you are Thanksgiving weekend. Well, now they're going to be in the top ten. So that's yep. why I didn't even I didn't even address it all year because I didn't care. Now I care. Right? Bull, I'd had people the last three weeks. What bowl are they going to go to? I said, I don't know. I said, I haven't even looked. I said, when it's done, I'll let you know.